Hey everybody, welcome back to the One's Ready Podcast. You're in the team room. You just have Aaron and I today. Uh, Trent's out, you know, doing silly goose tactical stuff. So (laughs) please let us know what that is because I'm not exactly sure what silly goose tactical is. Um, I think it's Trent's new company. As he's getting close to retirement, (laughs) you're going to start seeing some stuff online. It's going to be silly goose tactical and it is going to be great. I think the reels (laughs) are going to be good. They're going to be doing, it's going to be a silly goose time. And it's just going to be Trent teaching people how to be a tactical genius, a goon in the street. You're going to see Trent at Bucky's in full kit, and he's going to have nods on. And every shirt that he has is going to be a skull with some sort of nods. And they're going to be four tubes, so quads. Yep. And uh, Silly Goose Tactical, be on the lookout for it. Trent Segmiller. And he'll um, he'll make sure he uses his Liberty Safe. uh, (laughs) Oh, no. Wow, we're keeping it real good. Like, you're not supposed to try to, you know, these evergreen episodes, you're not supposed to let on when it is. But, man, Liberty Safe, what's up? How are you going to, like, are you trying to let your stuff just never get sold ever again? How are you going to give the number to the ops, dude? Like, come on, guy. Oh, boy. Anyway. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of kind of doing silly goose tactical stuff, um, and I know that we're not going to talk about silly goose tactical stuff, but it kind of is. Um, and it is, we're going to talk about a bunch of random things today and maybe we'll, we'll kind of tie it all together somehow, but, um, kind of talking about how there's a bunch of, like we train, we train a lot. We train all the time. Like that's what we do. If we're not deployed, and in fact, even if we are deployed, we are still training while we are deployed. Because if you, you know, you're mission planning, you're working out, you're sleeping, you're eating, but you still need to go sling lead down range. You still need to talk to planes. You still need to do medical scenarios, fly drones, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but it used to be, and and man, you're gonna have to correct me. Because uh, I'm sure I'll mess up the same, but it used to be uh, train how you fight, and which you know kind of makes sense in a way. Like, okay, well, I'm gonna train how I fight, but I think what we found is you end up fighting how you train, and that kind of goes back to that your lowest level of training, um, in that you know, no plan survives first contact, you know, all those little sayings that you could throw in there. But, how many, how many tactical cliches are we going to get into yeah, today? Well, Is it all of them? Okay. We, we could try. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm 100% here for it. Yeah. You never, you never rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of your training. You know, there's only, two, we only train two ways here, you know, the right way. And again, uh, my, my favorite, like these sayings will get put out there and then people will like update them. Right. So it was like, well, you need to train how you fight. And really what that meant is you're throwing on like everything was a full dress rehearsal all the time. Like team sergeants took that to the 10th degree and they were like, all right, well, we don't go to the range unless we're wearing full battle rattle and you're shooting in that all the time. We'd have shooting instructors like the best shooters in the world. You know, this guy came out and he's in like, you know, a pair of tactical pants and like a Columbia button up shirt. And he's looking around. He's like, what are you guys doing? We're just shooting pistols today. And one of the Relax. one of the guys, yeah, one of the guys on the team was like, "Oh, you know, train how you fight." And he's like, "Well, I mean, I'd prefer that you train for a fight and you get really good at individual skills, and then you can apply that, you know, when you actually go fight." But you guys do whatever you want, and then everybody out there felt like an idiot because then you felt like you were playing dress up. And he was like, "No, I just want to work on like pistol fundamentals today." And you're uh, you're wearing a you know a rucksack while you're trying to shoot a pistol. It doesn't really doesn't really work, but anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's that kind of, Hey, you haven't even mastered the fundamentals yet. And you're just right, right in there. Right. Let's, for let's sure. Go ahead and like start a building block because man, it, it, you really do um, fall, fall to the lowest level of training or, or fight how you train because um, that, and that's, that goes right back into why we like, if we're going to use, um, I'll just use JTAC or joint terminal attack controller scenarios, right? Um, regarding close air support is, you know, we, we will, as instructors, we will kind of baseline and then start building on those, building on those um, when you're in your kind of mission qualification training, uh, which means you're not a, you're not a fully qualified JTAG yet. Um, and then when it comes to your evaluation to get that qualification, like we ramp it up and we ramp it up a lot. Um, and fine, you become a qualified JTAG at that point. But that doesn't mean that you don't ever get on the mic again, or you only get on the mic whenever there's an evaluation. It means that, okay, the next time you're going out to the range, because it just, just to get your qualification means you're, you're safe and effective. It doesn't mean that you're like great at it or good at it. You're just, you're not going to kill yourself. You're just going to, or you're not going to kill yourself or other friendlies. You're just going to kill or destroy the targets that you intend to. So as we start to go through there, we ramp it up a lot. And then we get to a point where like you're at failure. Like you just, there is so much coming at you that you just cannot, um, you don't have the bandwidth for you. You crumble, things start to fall apart. You forgot to turn off their artillery and you had a tens fly right through the, the gun to target line or something like that. And that's kind of where we want to be so that you can see where your limit is so that you, you kind of know when you, you know what that feels like so that you can recognize it once you get to that point where you're becoming overwhelmed. And I know we don't like the, the term overwhelmed, you know, cause then it, then it applies weakness. No, how dare, <sighs> yeah. how dare but, you accurately describe yeah. something using a word in the English <laughs> language peaches, but like, and, and that's why we do it. And, and so now, now that you know your limit, now that you know what that feels like and, and, you know, okay, I've got 12 aircraft overhead with, you know, multi-axis troops in contact. Okay. I I've kind of reached my limit there. Now we can throttle it back. And then as you get more and more proficient, your, your bandwidth and your ability to, um, reprioritize, uh, take in more information, assess the information and then make appropriate decisions will, will increase. Um, and that, that's not just in that kind of scenario that you could take it right back to a medical scenario where you have, you know, you've got, you go from one patient that is just like, oh my God, how can I possibly do this to, okay, I got, I got multiple bleeders. I got mm-hmm. one that's ambulatory, one that's critical, one, you know, all those, all those medical terminologies that I don't truly know. <laughs> not just throwing them out there. Cause I know what. <laughs> Me either. I'm over here on Google <laughs> trying to figure out. Uh, you don't even have an ambulance. I don't even know what that means. Ambulatory. Ambulatory. Yeah. Can can dude walk? Hey, bro, bro. You good? Uh, you're <laughs> fine. Now we we do the same thing. You know, you'll you you go from you know it's it's hard enough, especially for a brand new medic or a brand new PJ. It's hard enough for them to treat one critical patient, right? Because I mean, it's stopping a human from dying. It's it's literally the hardest thing you could do with the highest stakes that you could have, right? So. That's already stressful enough. But as you go on, you know, the only thing you have to do to, to that patient care scenario to really start ramping up the intensity is we just add a tactical scenario. 
it's hard enough to treat somebody appropriately in bright lights on a table in a hospital with a whole trauma team. It's hard. People still die there, right? Like, uh, you know, and I've, oh, yeah. I've seen it, unfortunately, through the career. But when you start talking about, all right, well, we're going to, all you have to do is turn the lights out. Well, now you don't, you don't get the lights. And all of a sudden, you know, that student is like, holy crap, this is a lot harder. You don't even have to give, of course, the, the, you know, mass casualties are terrible. You give somebody, Hey, here's 10 critical patients. You're the only person in here. You just got to figure out like, you're literally just juggling flaming chainsaws, right? It's the easiest, uh, the easiest way to add intensity is just add volume. But really there's a, a million things you can do, but that simulates no kidding combat environments that's a way to turn the stress up and that's why we do it so people don't understand training a whole lot like is there going to be a time where you know you're treating a like because we'll put ridiculous you know rules on a on a patient treatment scenario as as an instructor i did i did it all the time you know you're in a big room like this but i'll shove a patient in the corner i'll be like you can't take the patient out of the corner you have to treat them over there you have to treat them underneath this table standing on your head uh, you have to stick an IV only in their left arm. Like we would pull all these things in and the students would be like, well, that's not really what it's going to be like. Well, I'm aware, but I can't shoot at you. Uh, yeah. I can't, I can't have other things going on inside of this room. That's going to simulate combat. So what I have to do is I have to s- find some way to simulate stress and add stress to the scenario. But the reason that we do that is so that you have that idea of, okay, this is what it feels like to be overwhelmed. And I don't mind using the word overwhelmed. You know, th- this is when you need to look at your friends and like, I need, I need hands. I need help on this patient for you to do this. I need you to tell me what's going on with these other patients. I need you to open a litter for me. I need you to do all these things. Unless you push yourself in those training scenarios, you're not going to know what to do when the, when the flag goes up really in real world stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, I, I think in training, that's almost where you, I'll just call it, you break the third wall or fourth wall, whatever you want to call it, right? Is when, when you're on a training event or you're getting an evaluation, you know, um, you're kind of thinking, okay, it's just me. But that evaluator has actually probably intentionally placed somebody there, like an observer, you know, an mm-hmm. observer or whatever, um, hasn't made them off limits or anything like that. You're getting overwhelmed. You got all this stuff going on. All you need is some, some, some dudes to put in some work. And then you kind of pop up and you go, you, what are you doing right now? Right. Get on that litter, open that litter exactly. up, yep. get that done. Hey, get on that soft lamb or get this up. I need new batteries. Get this up, you know, get that radio going. It, and now you start to go, Oh, okay. Well, now I'm able to like it. It goes to that bandwidth thing. Is now I'm not only worried about myself and and maybe my patients or or the the tasks that I've got to do, but it's like, hey, you're not you're sitting around doing nothing. And now it's it's almost taking a step back and being able to now delegate. Go boom, boom, boom. I'm I'm uh, opening up my bandwidth. I'm I'm able to now. Uh, task prioritize and all that kind of stuff um, and understand that it's not all about you know me and my evaluation or me and my training I've got to be able to do that because there's a lot of times where you know if if there is um, we'll just call it you know a mass casualty because there's a plane crash and there's going to be locals in the area right and it's just you and three guys but there's 15 freaking patients and there's people that are you know you can get locals or people that are just sitting around observing to like, get over here, do that. Now, 
I will say with a medical scenario or with, you know, maybe you're running some risk there. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> I just, I don't know how many training scenarios we've run where, you know, you have, you have role players, right? So when we do training like this, you'll, you'll have role players from other units and stuff and they'll show up. I just always laugh because there's always somebody, there's somebody in the air force that was meant to be an actor yeah. on Broadway. And now they just never got their chance. You know, they just really wanted to serve and be part of the, the nation's greatest air force. And then that person gets into the scenario. It's always a head injury. And that person is always like doing things that a head injured patient has never done in the history of medicine. They're like screaming and they're fighting you. Like you have to zip tie somebody like I've never had to zip tie a casualty of mine in my life, except in training. Like I have had to no kidding because they have just, they're just going off the and you can always tell the instructors will just stand there and they just start doing this number <laughs> or they just start looking at the person and they're just like, Oh my God, this person's going off. <laughs> You're just like, I'm going to, I'm they going have to a Southern accent too. <laughs> hey man. Hey man. Hey, hey, I don't know what happened. I bumped my head. Is my friend okay? What's going on? I and you have to do that for two hours. And you're like, if you do not shut up, like we are trying to do real things right now. And you are really screwing my day up, my guy. Uh, that's the worst. And then as soon as it's over, they're like, they'll probably still have a Southern accent. Oh, <laughs> hey, man. No, I just had a, I, they told me, they gave me a card. And they said I had a head injury and I couldn't remember stuff. And I just took some liberties and I started acting, acting a fool. I hope I didn't mess you up. And you're like, I hate you. Get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> don't ever talk to me ever again yeah i remember when uh about a year and a half ago or whatever you and i were up in in uh spokane working with the seer seer mm -hmm. dudes that was funny he has a, you had a good group of, i did I, that was like 40 people it was a lot yeah Both no players. that was a really good uh was, that was they, a really they, good they, training exercise actually that was good and they yeah. they did a good job but it was yeah. funny because there was one or two that was like well you really you really went ham into this, huh? Oh, my God. Like, where did you get those clothes? Oh, I did my moulage at home on my own. <laughs> okay, weirdo. Let's take, a, let's take a breath, okay? You didn't need to do that. Nope. Who, who asked you to do that? That's, that's always my favorite thing. It's like I'll walk over. I'll be like, hey, who asked you to do that? And they're like, oh, uh, uh, well, nobody, Sergeant. I just thought that it would make sense in this scenario. <laughs> like, all right, weirdo. Take a breath, big guy. I did. It, you should note, though. If you ever volunteer for a, a medical scenario or a tactical scenario, uh, and there is, and you are planned to be injured in, in any kind of way, whether it's a broken arm or whatever, you need to wear clothing. You need to wear unless, and you need to yeah. wear underwear, first well, of all. Okay. First and you, foremost. You should wear underwear. Um, yes. And you should also, like, if clothing is not provided for you by, by the instructors, then, don't wear something that you're going to be upset. Like I remember we cut that gets cut off. Exactly. We, it, it we cut that guy's nice. Yeah. He had a nice jacket on apparently. And we had no idea. <laughs> and his nice jacket nice you got there, buddy. Snip, 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 snip. See you later, bud. Oh, I will, uh, I will say that there, there's also a, Oh man, I don't know if I should tell this. This story is not really inappropriate. I guess, cause it doesn't have anybody's name attached to it. It's old enough now. 
It's more than 10 years old, so I'm going to tell oh, it that Oh, that way. should be good then. Yeah, you're good. That's the statute of limitations on inappropriate stories that we can tell <laughs> on the podcast. That's in the bylaws. By the way, when you start a podcast, they send you the rule book, which is really nice. You just got to read through it and understand what you got to do. <laughs> Mike Glover got it too. He just doesn't listen to it. Him, him and Trent are getting together for Silly, silly Goose Tacticals, sponsored by Liberty Saves. Um, so the other thing, so we, we were out on a training, and I, I will talk about, you know, People that volunteer for uh, people that volunteer for these training exercises. Sometimes I'm sure you've seen the the reel we've posted it a million times where the guy is talking about how he showed up to the pararescue schoolhouse one day. And hilarious video, by the way. Uh, I've DM'd with that dude. He's a funny guy. You volunteer for these things. You show up. You know. You know that you're gonna you're gonna get to touch that side of the Air Force for a day you're going to get to you know actually look at how a pararescue team does tactics or how they access patients or what it is you know you get to see them jump in like sometimes you get a, a helicopter or a fixed wing ride out of it it's a pretty good deal right well sometimes the people that are volunteering for these have ulterior motives and let me tell you a time that that happened uh i was with my my good friend his name's ryan Ryan and I, we had to jump in. There was this field that we used to jump in. It was a, a drop zone, but it was like a carrot field. It was like a farmer's field that they let us drop into. Um, so Ryan and I, it was a, uh, he was like his element leader, check ride or something. So he's like in charge of our small element. We jump in. There's only four or five of us. And immediately we hit the ground and J-Mac has a look on his face. So we're doing something and I'm packing my shoot up right next to J-Mac. And J-Mac is kind of like giving me this, this wild face. And he's evaluating because he was our team sergeant. I look at him. I'm like, J-Mac, what are you, uh, what's going on, dude? And he was like, you'll see. <laughs> so I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, weird. So sure enough, like we, we make this small movement over to the simulated plane crash. J-Mac did a great job, by the way. There was a fire going on. There was a car. There were people that were trapped in the car. I mean, it was, it was chaos when we showed up. Like it was a good, good training event from J-Mac. Crushed it. So we go over there and there's obviously the one patient that's a critical patient. And Ryan was the first one to put hands on. It happened to be a female. He cuts. So she's wearing a flight suit, right? So Ryan like opens the flight suit up and she is wearing like matching Victoria's secret underwear. And Ryan immediately, Ryan's a married guy. Like I, I like look over, I have my ruck. I look over and like, she's not an unattractive person. She is an airman. She's like our age, right? Like she's not too young. Like all she, it yeah, was you okay. weren't a senior NCO at the time. Right, like, exactly. You're, you're, I was you're, an E5, dude. Yeah. I was like, you know, I was like a 28-year-old E5, like on my first team. You know, Ryan is younger than me. I think Ryan was younger than me, but he was older in rank because he was a PJ for longer. Uh, dude, it was, it almost stopped the entire training. Event. Everybody was just like, Okay, so it turns out like J Mac, apparently this this volunteer from the med group, like classic Air Force, you know, hot chicks work in the med group. That is a, a stereotypical thing, but it's also an actual thing. Like attractive <laughs> females work in the Air Force. That's why you should go to the Air Force because they don't have those in the Army. Uh, I guess one hundred percent. She like the very first thing she said to J Mac on that training event was, "I'm here to get me a PJ." She's like, oh, "I am, geez. I am here." She's like, "You need to point the single ones out because I am here trying to." trying to 
upgrade my life right now. And J Mac was just like, he knew who was on the team and he was like, Oh boy, Ryan immediately, immediately was like, all right, I need a medic over here. I can't do this. I gotta, I gotta go run this tactical scenario. And I was sitting there. I was like, "Mm -mm, mm -mm, not me, buddy. Not today, Satan. I am not going to get tuned up on this one. I am not getting in trouble. I got stuff I got to do. Get out of here. Um, but that the every once in a while, like that's a that's one way that you can you can add stress. The other way that I've seen that was more effective than that, like that was a little off putting. But we sh- we did a uh, training exercise in Vegas, and we rolled up. Um, you know, there's a bunch of people moulaged up and and whatever, but it was actual amputees. The people that set up the training event contracted out people that were actually missing limbs. Yeah. So I distinctly remember I was further. I, I was I a troop chief at this point. I think I was a troop chief. So you know I was you know the overall team leader for the scenario. But it was hilarious because my medic literally looks and the the actor the person in the you know the role player didn't have a leg and he is acting. He's like, oh, I got you know my legs got blah blah. The medic looks at me. He goes, Aaron, this guy really doesn't have a leg. And I was like okay treat him (laughs) they just kind of looked at him but it was hilarious because it was one of those things where you're like holy crap that was that was crazy that was another really really good training event but there's there's always ways to add stress whether it's stress of uh you know maybe the role player acting acting silly wearing matching victoria's secret underwear or maybe it's actually treating an amputee but those are all things that we do you know to keep it fresh because something you said way in the beginning of the podcast that i don't think people realize People are like, oh, what do you do? You know, I know you train when you're when you're gone, but what do you do when you're deployed? Oh, you still train. Mm -hmm. Like we had a seven day, well, six days, because usually I let the guys have Sunday off, but six days worth of battle rhythm. You know, tactical Tuesdays. We would do tactics and go to the range and go shoot on Tuesdays. And in between missions, you're still training and you're still doing stuff. You still have upgrades, you still have all these things that you need to do. You're literally training. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it doesn't matter if you're deployed. Your gym time is built into the day, your training time, you're teaching classes, you're going to the range, you're doing medical stuff. You know, every day for us would start off with, you know, just hip pocket sort of drills. Let's see how fast you can open this litter up. What's our standard? For, how, how fast can you tie a simple rope system if we needed to get from A to B and you're just going to tie a rope bridge? you know if we're walking in an area and you need to tie into it so yeah uh, it never stops uh, you're no. always always training no and and that's kind of one of the reasons and and bear with me as i kind of make this analogy but um you know why do we need to practice blowouts all the time why do we need to practice doing israeli litters why do we need you know and on and on and on it it doesn't stop with those tasks and it kind of goes to the point where and i'm i'm sure you've done this because i know i have um you ever driven somewhere like you've driven to work somewhere you always go and you don't remember the drive you just it just freaking happened it's not that you weren't paying attention to the road you're just like Oh, like, dude, bro, did, right? did I stop at that red light? Like, yeah, you, yeah, you do not remember the the yeah. entire drive, yeah. And uh, and I don't know what that's called, whatever kind of level of situational awareness that is. Um, but you know, you're still going through the motions, proper motions, proper safety, and and that kind of stuff. Um, but you've just done it so many times that that you're not going to get it wrong, and. That's why we practice the blowouts. That's why we we practice, you know, setting up Israeli litter because 
and I'm using the Israeli letter because it is a relatively simple task, yet people can mess it up, oh, um, especially controllers. Like we mess it up, but you know, it's, it's fairly simple. And I'm, I'm saying that, whereas if you put an Israeli letter in front of me right now, I would jack it up. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not coming in from my high horse here right, saying yeah. like, Oh yeah, I got it right. 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 I'd mess it up right now. Yeah. Um, but we practice those things so that you can do it and all, and you don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier about opening up your bandwidth. I can, I can do the Israeli litter or I can do that. I can give an IV like nothing. I don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. I can minister or draw medication. Don't even think about it. I can get a gun to target line and, and do a, a time to target or a, a, a um, time on target you know, with all the calculations, we're not even thinking about it very much. Like that's why we train to that point so that I can then, you know, um, lessen that stress or lessen that, you know, mental, mental stuff that I've got to do to figure that out. And then I can get to other things that are more important or more pressing. Right. There is nothing funnier than watching somebody struggle to get a patient (laughs) on a SCEDCO. Like that is my favorite thing of all time. You know, you have the sked code that's out there. You know, I, I love, you know, our TAC P, you know, TAC P SR controller brothers. Nothing gives me more joy than legitimately throwing a bag at somebody and be like, Hey, put the, put the guy on that, that sked code. And then just having them like start looking at the sked code. Cause they come rolled up, right? Like, so what we're talking <laughs> about, it's a, a full, it's hoistable. It's really, you know, you can put it in tight spaces. It basically like, tacos the patient so you know if you've seen them they're the green sked cut the, the green litter that you can drag yeah. like you, and you it's see a hardened hardened plastic kind of thing but yeah, it you is, can yeah. Do anything with that hoist it yeah. drag it you can litter. do it vertically you can bring somebody up up a uh you know you can attach it to a rope system there's a there's a way that we can tie into it that you can bring somebody up a mountain you can hoist it to a helicopter you've seen it it's out there but it comes rolled up in a bag right so it's you know this big the skedcos are and you know it's it's rolled up and about that big but because it's rolled up and it's hard plastic it's constantly rolled up so it's always trying to like roll itself back up so yeah. watching somebody struggle trying to put like a limp noodle uh a limp noodle of a patient on a skedco it just makes my heart happy because unless you know how to do it like there's a way that you can stand on it and then drag the patient you essentially use the patient to roll the skedco out and you can roll it out with your feet and whatever once once you figure out the the way to do it it's pretty simple but watching somebody struggle with that bad boy magnifique oh i love it so much but unless you practice those things you're not going to know you know Mm -hmm. unless you unless you put hands on it like unless you're you know on on medical mondays when we talk about how we put patients on litters and how we mark our litters like there's a way to mark the litter because you can mess the skedco up if you put the patient's head at the patient's foot or if you have it flips like guys will do that as well they'll unroll it they'll put it on the ground they'll put the patient on the wrong side it won't work like that um it's not interchangeable in that way like there is a right way to put a patient on the skedco but unless you unless you open it up in daylight at the beginning of your of your alert day unless you have somebody that's walking you through it you're not going to be able to do it during that time and that's the other thing about training too is as we're talking through this it's not always the team sergeant that's running these classes Almost always, it's the young dude. It's your primary medic. It's your E3, E4 guy that's running, you know, on Tactical Tuesdays or, you know, JTAC Thursdays or whatever we have. It's not the number one team sergeant. It's not the officer running people through a class. You look, you know, two days beforehand, you're like, hey, 
you're the primary JTAG. I want you to teach this class coming up on, you know, you're, you're teaching classes on Thursdays. And usually that's that staff sergeant, that young team member. That's their first chance to get up in front of the team, a, fu- a team full of experts and to really start honing their craft. And they're going to run training events for those days. Like you can expect, um, you know, it's not good enough just for you to be tactically sound at these things. You can expect that you're going to teach these things all the time, you know, from the, from day one of the pipeline until you retire, Somebody is going to come into your area and be like, hey, I need you to stand up and just right off the hip, I need you to put together this class and you're going to teach the team how to do these things. And that's that's valuable as well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's how you know that you truly know something mm-hmm. and that you're a subject matter expert is that if you can teach it. And that's also when you quickly know that you're not a uh, subject matter expert is when somebody does ask you to, hey, teach me a nine line or teach me a, a trait or teach me, you know, how, just teach me how to put an Israeli litter together. You're like, oh, boy. Oh, you know, boy, I better, yeah. uh, I better go. Where's yeah. that Israel- Where is the litter? Just, uh, I'm going to go grab it real quick. Yeah, let's, let's slip this 20 minutes real quick. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be back in here. Like, oh my gosh. See, see one, do one, teach one, yeah, you know, keeping exactly. on with the, uh, the cliches. Those aren't cliches. That's really what you're going to do. Like you're going to learn it and then you're going to, you're going to show like some sort of mastery at least to a 70% level, right? Like you might not be the world's best JTAC, but you can do it. You can be safe. You can be effective. But then the next time that that training event comes up, you're going to be expected to teach it. You're going to be, because there's always a new guy. You might be the new guy now, but you're not going to be the new guy forever. You're only going to be the new guy for about six months until we get another new guy in. And then you're going to be the one that has to take the new guy through the stuff that you're doing right now. Yep. Oh, and it's important that that's that trickle down kind of effect and, and, you know, you, you just, you just mentioned the new guy is only the new guy for, around six months or whatever before there's another new guy. But, uh, you know, that's a, that is so true. You, you really, I mean, I, you know, we talked about it on here about building your bench and all that kind of stuff, meaning that you need to be uh, training, molding, mentoring the, the people that are going to replace you because there is one guarantee. You will take this uniform off. You will, you know, you will not do this forever. Right. Um, and you've got to make sure that, it's not just setting up, um, you know, this big picture, you, you know, you're not setting up America for, for the right thing, but you're also setting up like your teammate, your friend, because they are the ones, you know, imagine, imagine you knew something and you were just like, ah, you'll figure it out, mm-hmm. you know, which granted some things they do have to figure out, but ah, I'll figure it out. And then next thing you know, he freaking, uh, you know, the hoist snapped or, right. you know, something, something happened on a training event and then they're scarred for life or they're, or they are dead. You know, mm-hmm. that is, dude, you got to live with that. And that's yep. why it's important that, you know, you were, you were communicating and training all the time. Well, and you get this sense of urgency too, because you, you know, if you're on team for long enough, you see terrible things happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, if you're a jump master, if you're a, a team leader, if you're a JTAC, like I bet you can pull up in your memory, like how many friendly fire events were there and what lessons learned from those yep. friendly fire events. I can pull up helicopter crashes and mountaineering accidents and, you know, times where people treated patients that the patients didn't live. Like you start to, those stories get burned into your brain because that's how we make ourselves better. So you really do have a sense of urgency. Sometimes the young guys don't understand it too. When they get on team, they're like, 
you know, and you see it with instructors, like people, people will see stuff. It's like tape in the water bottles. Why is, <laughs> why do instructors freak out about taping your gear correctly? We've made the joke. I don't know how many times now about taping that gear, but it's because the instructor in their head, they're like, no, that's a lapse in situational awareness. It's a lapse in, you know, attention management, attention to detail that gets people killed. And as a cone, as a person that's going through assessment selection, you don't understand that. You're like, dude, I just didn't, I didn't tape my water bottle exactly like my buddy did. How is that going to lead to somebody dying? And, you know, I had a couple of instructors that, you know, they would just get so fired up. Like every instructor has those isms. Well, that's why. It's because what they're doing is they've been on team long enough. If you're on team for long enough, you're going to have a friend, unfortunately, that passes away. You're going to have a friend that gets seriously yeah. hurt in a training event because we do dangerous stuff. If you look at the you know NSW communities and at the special forces communities, people die in parachute accidents. They die in training accidents where live fire, you know, you know, live fire, shoot, move, communicate. They die in vehicle rollovers. Like, uh, unfortunately people get hurt and and they get killed doing this stuff, right? So it's it's all fun and games until it isn't. And really what you do as a team leader is you start injecting that for realism's sake into the training. And you'll say, hey, you cannot do this or this will kill somebody. And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm telling you from my personal experience. And, and I know sometimes it seems hyperbolic or it sometimes seems like the instructors are just being crazy and, and you know, just being, oh, if you don't tape your water bottle, somebody dies. Well, okay, yeah, not taping your water bottle probably isn't going to lead to somebody's death. But what that instructor is doing is they're saying, like, I've seen people get complacent. I've seen people go, well, I know I'm supposed to do it this way, but I'm going to do it this way. Does it really matter? And they've seen terrible consequences from those sort of Mm -hmm. decisions. And that's it's almost like an oral history or it's how we mentor, right? It's how we coach, guide, mentor. It's how we help groom our replacement. Because that's that's really what you're doing at every single level. Whether you know it or not, your job is to teach the person below you how to do your job. Because the the military machine, whatever it is that we want to talk about, the military machine does not care about you. You have to take care of your people and you have to get that person ready. Because the military machine is just going to wake up one day and be like, all right, Aaron, you're out. Who's your team sergeant now? And I have to go, oh, this guy, Jared is my team sergeant now. And the, the military is going to be like, well, hope they're ready. Cause we're going to put them in the highest stakes game, um, that they can have right now. And yeah. if you don't every single day, if you don't give a shit about your people, if you don't actually care, train, coach, guide, mentor, give them the things that they need, give them good training events, give them consistent training events. If you can't do that, you're going to set your friend up for failure. And, yeah. and that person could pay the ultimate price for it. And it sounds hyperbolic, but, Unfortunately, it isn't like those really are the stakes of the game you're playing. Yeah. And it, 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 there are, of course, different levels to it. I mean, when you start talking about marketing your gear, gear, uh, it takes me right back. So I'm thinking in doc, when I was there, you know, we had an instructor, um, Dave Swan. Uh, I think he, he's a retired chief now, but legend. Yeah. You know, um, he, he okay, legend. Yes. Complete asshole in doc for no reason. That's yes. what I meant. Yeah, he was a legend in that sense. He was a he was a terror. There were only really two instructors. So Dave Swan and then Yo-Yo Keaton, also retired chief, David Keaton. Those two instructors for me, I swear, when they showed up, I was like, my life sucks. This is yeah. bullshit. <laughs> and I, I hope I hope Dave hears that. Nah, man. Um, it, it was always funny. Whatever. Amazing. Whatever. I, he... I love I love me some Yo-Yo. God, it's such a good. Oh, dude. Yo-Yo's awesome. But yeah. I just, 
I love it. You're, Absolutely Dave, terrifying. Dave, Dave Swan. I'm sure you're, he, Dave Swan, I'm sure you're not the same dude now, but I tell you what, there were times where you were an asshole for no reason. Entire and, generations and, of Collins like, yeah, be hating yeah, Dave Swan. Yeah. But <laughs> with that said, I remember specifically, um, and this is where that mentorship comes from, whether guys, you know, an asshole at the time or not. Like I remember he explained this at at Induct, while we were talking about marking your gear, lining your gear up, lining your water bottles up appropriately and all that kind of stuff. And David had a an accident with, and I'm sure I'll mess it up, like some of the details, but he had an accident with the hoist cable. Um, and we had, we had actually done that, that, uh, training kind of overview, um, with the, with the Rams jump, uh, and the hoist out on the CV 22 a couple months ago. And we had actually started talking about the hoist cable, right? And so that attention to detail, you know, you have to have somebody that has SA in control over that hoist cable because that cable will kill somebody or hurt somebody, hurt somebody on the best of days, kill yeah. somebody, um, whether it's daytime or nighttime. And yep. you can see this in the video that we did is that this is daytime. So Dave's, Dave Swan's talking about all this and, and, uh, you know, he shows his thumb because at some point, just a little loop in that, in that cable had had gone over his thumb and he and it happened so quick so it's it's kind of as it's going up but i think i'm not i think he had control over it and and just a little loop happened and just degloved yeah, his thumb took his thumb right off right yeah yeah and and i'll tell you what in that video that we did too those are calm seas so we're not yeah. even talking about like if you know there could be a if you're in 10 foot seas if you're in 10 foot rollers then that means when you go closer to the helicopter, that's 10 feet of slack for that hoist cable in the water. That could, if that wraps around your leg, if it wraps around your, your, your torso, neck. your arm, your neck, anywhere, you're done. The second that, that you then go down another 10 feet, like when you come off the crest yeah. of the wave and you go into the trough of the wave, or if the helicopter moves or, or whatever, it's a bad day. And he, he definitely paid the price. And uh, he, he would tell that story often. Yeah. About how. Is- that a, a simple lapse of you know it was bad luck too but it was you know it was the way that he would describe it to you is he would say that it he wasn't paying attention for it you know to it for for one second he wasn't giving it the attention that it deserves and he ended up paying a price for it and almost he almost lost his whole hand um <sighs> he, was, he was lucky that he only lost you know his thumb or a portion of his thumb but he would tell that story often as a as a attention management tool and he was dead on it's it's those mm-hmm. little things that you may not understand why are the instructors harping on this? Why is it so important that I have all of my gear in the same bag in the same pocket as my, as my buddy does? Why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you're hurt, I need to know where your medical gear is. I can't be rifling through your rucksack when, when you're bleeding out, I need to know, you know, we standardize our kit for everything. We all wear our IFAC. You know, when, when you're on a team of mine, I will tell you 100%, you're wearing your IFAC in the exact same portion or the exact same place on your body. It's either under your weak side arm or it's dead center in the middle of your back, um, in the middle of your belt line on your back. Like and why those, do those I need the, to know where, why do I need to know where your IFAC kit is? Because I don't want to die, homie. Because if I, if I catch a hot one, I'm going to need you to fix me. <laughs> this is where my tourniquet is. And this is where right. my chest seal is. But the, the reason why I was asking that is because we need to know. I need to know where Aaron's IFAC is. Just just like he needs to know where mine is and everybody yep. else on the team. Because if I have to come treat you because you got hurt, I'm not using my stuff. I'm nope. using your stuff because yep. I need my stuff for me. 
and 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 that's I, like correct me get me to correct but like as a j if if your wounds if i can sustain and care for your wounds using your ifac even though i have a ruck that has all the you know airway bleeding circulation or breathe air what is yeah. the abc yeah airway breathing circulation okay ABCs. Cool. Yeah. um yeah then then i don't need to crack that open and i can fix you or at least you know get you stable through your own IFAC, that's what I'm going to use because I need to prepare for all the other injuries that could or may happen yeah. or, or will happen rather. Um, and I need that ruck for that because what on a, on a standard PJ ruck, you can treat how many patients? So we say that you can treat two critical patients for 72 hours. That's what you okay. have inside of the med ruck. Yeah, dude, I'm totally putting you on the spot here. <laughs> I'm here, baby. I answered that call. I knew that one. I was all about it. Well, and the thing that you're talking about here is, you know, never, never using your own stuff to treat somebody that came out of, that came out of Black Hawk Down. Tim oh, Wilkinson yeah. really, really famously, he ran around and he was using everybody else's med gear. This was not a standard thing back in October of 1993. This was not a standard thing that they did. And when he got done with that, him and there was another PJ that was on the ground named Scotty Fails. And I've actually had the uh, distinct privilege to talk to both of those, both of those guys. They were in the AFSOC community for a long time after Black Hawk Down working at the North Carolina unit, they probably still are as far as I know, but they both said the same thing. They got done and people were asking them about, you know, how did they manage their gear? I think it was Tim Wilkinson looked at everybody. was like, my gear, I, my, my med rock is fully packed. I'm ready to go, baby. And they were like, what are you talking about? He was like, yeah, I didn't use any of my own gear. Yeah. He was like, I would, he's like, every time, you know, the range medic, I would steal their rock. I would go, he's like, that's my gear. I'm not going to use my gear. I'm going to use everybody else's gear first. But that was sort of where the IFAC came from is that everybody has their own medical gear on them. And I don't treat out of that. Right. So even me, you know, a lifetime ago as a, as a primary medic, when I run up to a patient, if I run up to peaches and he's hurt, I don't grab it out of my IFAC. I grab it out of my bleeding pocket. I, you know, there's a way that you load your pants and you load your kit and you have additional bags and stuff. That's for patients. Like I have, I have specific stuff that I treat patients out of never out of your own IFAC. That's for me. That's, that's my tourniquet. That's my chest seal. That's my dart. That's my breathing device. That's my stuff. Like, that's to save my life. That's for somebody else to save my life if I need it. But that came out of Black Hawk Down. That was, a, that was one of the lessons learned out of uh, Operation Gothic Serpent, where Tim, Tim um, Wilkinson and Scotty Fails both were like, nah, dog, uh, we're not going to uh, use anybody else's stuff. We're going to use, you know, we're going to use your stuff, not my stuff. Yeah. That, was, that was a really good lesson learned. No, and it, it, you know, you can sit here and go, well, I, I thought, you know, in soft, you can do whatever you want in, in terms of wear whatever you want to your kit. That is not, that is not the case, man. No. It, we do the same thing with, with uh, crypto, like yep. in terms of radios, it's like you need, it needs to be in a, a well-known standardized spot so that if somebody needs to like burn the crypto or not burn mm -hmm. it, but destroy the crypto or something like that, or needs to plug their radio because their radio, for whatever reason, dropped the, the crypto fill. I need to, you know, if I don't have my own, I need to be able to just reach in, grab it. Cause now if we're in a fight, like, I, I don't need this. <laughs> hey, buddy, what, what, hey, where you brother. got this? Hey, hey man. brother. Oh, well, I sewed my Til own. Valhalla. Til Valhalla, brother. Yeah. 
I love, yeah, I love it too that people are just like they have this this misconception, and young guys do it on team all the time, right? Like they show up and like it's it's always great to watch like the older dudes on team. The first like tactical scenario, the first time that the, everybody's in full kit, they kind of like look at the young guy and they're like, "What are you doing?" And they're like, "Oh, that's a, that's how I roll, man. I just found out that I like that." Like, oh yeah, tight. Go take all of that off and then look like your team leader. Go put your <laughs> shit together and don't make me talk to you about it again because that's what it is like it's way more standardized than you yeah. think um you know like we're we're a little bit better we don't do like full-on gear shakedowns no, 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 at every no. single training event like you're you're given a little bit of a leash on that but we were a hundred percent standardized like yeah. hey here's here's where you're gonna wear your radio here's where your crypto is and you know to your point there was a time we were getting ready to go take off, uh, you know, in Afghanistan. So this is uh, 2014, 2015, getting ready to go take off and go do something. And the helicopters dropped their crypto. Like as they were getting ready to go, the helicopters didn't have crypto. That's a no. You can't do that. They're not going to fly. Can't talk to anybody. In plain language. Right. Yeah. So then the entire ground team. So our controller had to get off the bird, had to go grab his fill, had to go get over to the bird, had to load the crypto for the birds or that mission wasn't going. You know, if, and by the way, the guy that handed him the crypto was, it was his PJ. The guy was just like, Hey, here you go. Like, you know, the controller, yep. you know, comes over the radio is like, Hey, I need my, I need my fill device. And he was like, Oh yeah, cool. Reach right in his rock, grab it. And he's like, there's your sensitive item. Like I know where it is because that's how we do things. That's how things are loaded out. And you know what? If the controller needed to get that PJ, his narcs later in the mission, guess he what? Where the at? controller can reach right in the bag. He knows exactly what Pelican case to grab and he can give that PJ his narcs. That's why we do it because yeah. it makes you better. It's also why you guys need to know how to program radios too, not just yep. for, for your own, but you know, a lot of times we'll take care of that. But if I happen to have a, you know, a large radio in the back of my rock that I can't get access to, I don't have it remote into ATAC or a yeah, KDU. Like, yeah. like I need okay, I need you to go back there and I need you to to cycle up my channel three to channel, you know, four or five or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh because if not I gotta take my ruck off and we're in this tight freaking uh you know helicopter or whatever we're at. I just you yep. gotta know each other's job. Not to the point like I don't need to be a PJ, but I at least need to know some some T triple C, some basic stuff. Not yep. just scenario wise or, or, you know, education training wise, but I need to know where you have things within your ruck as well. And, and kind of going back to what we talked about with, you know, Dave Swan, um, um, Tim Wilkinson and, and, and Gothic Serpent and stuff like that is where do you think, uh, not you, I know you know, but like for the folks out there, where do you think these scenarios come from? They come right. from real world events, things that everybody has experienced, whether, you know, whether Aaron and I have experienced them, whether we've read them in after actions reports or whether they're kind of famous, you know, like, you know, events, mm -hmm. that's, that's how we learn. And some of them are, could, could really seem outlandish and bombastic and, and just like, <laughs> Dude, You're like, there's never no happened. way. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Some Dude, training. There's no you, way that this could happen. You no, think this... I just came up with this? <laughs> like, you, you think that us hanging a pilot off the edge of a cliff and us having to jump into a, a frozen lake bed and snowshoe all the way up a mountain to then recover that dude off of, you know, off of a cliff, a real person hanging off a cliff. 
you think that that just hasn't happened before and we just right. came up with that yeah or, we just or, dreamed it up right yeah, i got it we 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 put people in this car and we crushed it and we covered it with snow, but that's only because I didn't have a helicopter Hulk to right. then, you know, crash and right. put snow on and catch it on fire. Like, so yeah, there's some, there's some creative licensing that are involved with that, but like, dude, these scenarios happened. Right. Well, the, <laughs> the great part about it too is, you know, students, you always are like, okay, well there, there's no way that this happened in real life. I want to say when, when I was at the schoolhouse, what we would do is, you know, instructors would talk about missions that they've been on and they'd be like, Hey, I was on this mission and this crazy thing happened. And, you know, this is how, you know, we, we joke about the, you know, we joke about people acting out or whatever. There was this one scenario that we used to run all the time for the students at, at Kirtland, we would evaluate them and, you know, you're just there sitting your regular, I don't think they do it anymore. So I'm not telling you guys any G2 <laughs> or anything, but you're basically sitting there on alert and uh, a C, uh, C47 uh, NH 47 is about to take off. Uh, and it, they take off and on their takeoff, they experience an engine failure and they crash and you have like a 20 person mass casualty, um, right out your door. And people are just like, Oh yeah, whatever. That was an actual scenario. Like one of our PJs, Mike, he responded to that exact thing. Like he was sitting alert in Iraq and somebody else was, they, you know, a, another 47 was taken off and they just crashed on their takeoff and suddenly you have this 30 person mass casualty event that's right out your front door mm -hmm. and you have to go you know respond to that um you know there was this added wrinkle to it where you know one of the instructors would would play the fire chief and as the students were starting to like run the mass casualty you know this fire this air force fireman would come over and would start like yelling at people and would like be telling the officer to, to fuck off. And he was like, no, this is my scene and it's on base and it doesn't matter if you guys are PJs, he's going to run the scenario, whatever. And we would get done. And every single time we'd be like, okay, give us feedback on this thing. You know, the, the crow, the officer in charge would look at us and go, well, it was all pretty realistic except for the fire chief. Like, you know, Sergeant, mm -hmm. Sergeant Lawrence pretending to be this guy and, and you know, whatever. Well, then the instructors would be like, Hey, that happened in real life, dude. That was a real wrinkle that I had to deal with during this thing. Like, I know it seems the most ridiculous. Um, dude, crazy. Well, this is a, a pretty funny story, but so we were, we were in, uh, we were in Bagram in 2000. I think it's had to be like 2014. So 2014, no kidding. We get a phone call from a two-star general, right? So the, the commander of the base was a three-star at the time. I want to say an army three-star. And then the vice commander was a two-star general or something, uh, a guy named Kelly, Air Force general named Kelly. So the phone rings and like, no kidding, somebody like calls down stairs like, hey, Aaron, uh, can you come up here? And I'm like, yeah, man, what's up? So I leave our team room and I go up to the talk. And they're like, yeah, the general's on the phone for you. And I was like, oh, God, what did, what did the boys oh, do? Oh, boy, here I'm we like, go. Did we, did we steal something? Did we get in trouble? I was like, I, I wasn't aware of anything. So I was like, oh, did the boys not tell me? No kidding, this general. So they were digging a trench in order to lay out like uh, communication stuff, right? So they were going to lay out fiber optic cables and stuff. So third country nationals, a bunch of Sudanese dudes were digging this huge trench, like 15 foot deep, five or six foot wide trench. Well, there's no OSHA in Afghanistan, and these dudes didn't even speak English. So some of the safety stuff wasn't exactly on par. So the trench collapsed. 
So the general just happened to be driving by this scenario where there's like on base fire because at the time Bagram was huge, right? Like, I mean, it was actually, it was actually drawing down, but this was the time like Bagram had like a TGI Fridays and shit. So (laughs) just wild. Uh, But anyway, so he drives by this scenario and they've been trying to get this guy out of this hole for like, I don't know, an hour and a half. And finally, the general was like, you know, I know guys that do this. So he calls over and literally just asks us. He's like, hey, can you show up and go help them out? So we showed up to this this event, this disaster, you know, sort of response where they had two people that were trapped in this trench. And they were trying to figure out like they had this big rope system tied up to a, you know, to a fire uh, fire truck. They were going to like pull the guy out. It was this crazy scenario. But walking into that, like I'm in a combat zone, I'm in Iraq or in Afghanistan. I've got all of my friends with me. I show up and I'm basically talking to a fireman that he was like from Chicago. He just happened to be on his six month rotation as a contractor over here. And, you know, my crow and I, like, we just laughed. We looked at each other. I'm like, this is like a 30 minute problem. I was like, we're going to have this thing buttoned up pretty much right away. But it was funny because we walk up to the guy and, you know, there was this, there was this back and forth where you had to be like, Hey, so you, listen, you're in charge of the scene. We're just here to help, but we we have all this like really specialized extrication equipment and like their Skedco, they had like generation 1 of that that litter that we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier, the Skedco. It was bright orange and it was like three times as big as ours. Ooh. I look I literally take our bag and it's like it's 75% smaller. I was like, "Hey, for confined spaces, this actually works better. Do you do you want me to send maybe my medic down there?" And then the guy was in immense pain. His leg was, uh, it, it ended up breaking his femur when it collapsed. It broke his femur, but it put it in such a way that he was, he was buried up to his chest. So then he was having breathing problems. And then his leg was angulated in a very unnatural way. Like the way that the earth crushed his leg, his leg was pointing in a direction that should not point. Right. <sighs> so they couldn't figure out how they were going to try to move or dig him out or, or do whatever. And he was in a lot of pain. And the guy couldn't get anybody on the phone to approve like morphine for the guy. And I was like, you're going to give this dude morphine. I was like, he's already having problems breathing. I was like, how about this? I was like, I don't need to ask anybody. My medic can just go start giving him drugs and like, we can start making this scenario happen. But <clears throat> all that to say, and by the way, we did beat, I, I will give credit to my, my crow <clears throat> who is no longer in, he's doing good things for a three letter agency, but John, my crow, one of my favorite officers I ever worked for. As soon as I was like, this is a 30 minute problem. He was like, click. Okay. You said it. You're, you're on the clock, baby. And I was like, fine, fuck you. We're going to do this. I was like, I'm gonna have this scene manage in 30 minutes or less. Uh, cause that's whatever, but we did beat that 30 minute clock, uh, to his credit. He did a great job too. Um, but it was just one of those things where, you know, to try to explain that to somebody, we would run training events and I'd be like, Oh yeah, you know, you're, you're, uh, on alert right now, but you're not going to get into a gunfight. You get a call to your talk and it's a general asking you to go help the fire department with this confined space scenario in the middle of a war zone. And people were like, that doesn't make any sense. JMAC, um, when JMAC was in, I want to say it was Iraq. He had one of the dive missions in Iraq because some, somebody blew a, a Humvee hit an ID and it blew it into a river. And mm. then they had, had to go work a dive recovery swift water mission on the side of the, the freaking Tigris River in Iraq. Like, no kidding, you know, JMAC is, is running a dive, a dive site uh, right next to a river. For dive a soup in it. Yeah, dive soup in it. Just crush it, you know <laughs> what I mean? So that stuff happens. Um, those stories are out there. And it seems, you know, when we put it in the context of training, 
you know, there are times where you're like, that would never happen. Man, it happens. The weirdest stuff happens. Sometimes you got to shoot a cow, you know, ask Jared Taylor. Sometimes, who knows, dog? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story. Uh, Yeah. But you know what I also love, though, is hoist. I do love me some hoist. Shout uh, out. Yeah, shout out to Hoist. Got those little packets. Um, man, they are so good. Uh, you can find them at drinkhoist.com and use the promo code ones ready. Get yourself a discount. But they've got all kinds of great flavors. You got the, um, it's the peach mango. Peach mango is good. Fruit punch is my all time favorite. I'm a packet guy. The premix is great. The, the blue raspberry in the, in the premix is my favorite in the premix. If you're just going to grab it, cause it's everywhere now. You can find it at HEB mm-hmm. and your shop at everywhere. It's, it's awesome. We love seeing the folks at, at drinkhoist.com just succeeding and, and being out there. But man, you get me, uh, you hit me in the morning like this, a little bit tired. Maybe I imbibed a little bit too much last night watching some <laughs> college football. Maybe I need a little pick-me-up in the morning to get my hydration on point. Man, I, I put that fruit punch in there from drinkhoist.com. Forget about it. Just yeah, I'm a, I'm a right. morning. I'm a morning. Uh, I, I try and get one before. If I'm not doing it before workout, it is like before bed Yep. and when I wake up because it, I, I, it's a noticeable difference. Um, 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, drinkhoist.com, promo code one's ready. Yeah. So. Yeah, the scenario thing is is interesting, and and I think it's. I just wanted to put that out there. This is why I brought it up. Is just because I remember being, you know, in Indoc and hearing all these stories, and you think people are just being hyperbolic and just like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, and and it is all based off of things doing, and we do the same thing with you know cast missions and stuff like that. You know, you got Rob Gutierrez is, you know. They're in the low ground, which you never <laughs> want to be in the low ground. Right. You got a multi-axis tick. You've got, you're in a, you know, you're in a village that no one has gone into in a really, really long time. Right. And, and by really long time, I mean years upon years, um, because the terrain is so, it, it puts you at a disadvantage. And that's the only way you can get in there is to be in the low ground. And yep. now it's just, you know, so practicing those scenarios are what make you better. And it go and it ties right back into you are going to fight the way that you trained. And if we can build you up even like better than what we were, and that's the goal, right? Is making everybody else. And believe me, dealing with the trench out here at the weapon school, they are way better than I ever was. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the way it should be. Everybody that, that when you, you know, using all the cliches that we possibly can till the hell a brother, but, till the hell uh, a brother. Yeah. but, you know, building your bench, making sure that the people that are, are under your span of care that are going to be replacing you out on the battlefield and in the team rooms are better than you were when you, when you showed up or when you left, because they are the ones that are going to be going out and executing the mission. Hell yeah, peaches. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> who's going to carry the logs and the chocks wanna, and the goats? I want to know who's going to curry the goats. Who is going to curry the goats? I, I, I did. When you texted that the other day, I actually laughed at that because I love me a good curry. I had some curry last night, baby. Oh, I know. We got have? a great Indian food place out here. It's fantastic. Oh. It was really good. Last night, it was funny. Old, old T Money and I were looking at each other. She was like, hey. Trying to get some of that curry tonight. And I was like, girl, you had me at curry. What's curry the goats? 
Who's going to curry the goats? Dude, if you guys haven't had curry out there, like good Indian curry, you're missing out. Listen to and, Daddy and I, Peaches. Let's yeah. go. Get yourself a good curry. Get yeah. it Get it spicy. Get the naan bread. Get the garlic naan bread. Dip it in there. Get it all over your fingers and your little face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had never had Indian food, uh, you know, uh, or curry rather, because mm-hmm. uh, I know there's different kinds of, of sure. curry. But like, of course, um, you're canceled you know, now. Congratulations. Yeah, I am canceled. Um, so I had curry in Afghanistan, obviously. But um, that is that is a whole nother t- kind of curry. That is good curry out in Afghanistan, but it is weird um, if you had never done it before. You know, eating it eating it with your hands on the ground, but also like there's bones and mm-hmm. it, it's there's there's still some other things in there where you're like, okay, I'm I'm going to get sick after this. Okay, hundred percent, hundred percent. We were uh, this last trip to Africa, same cool. sort of deal. Like we were eating with the partner force, and we we're like, all right, cool. Did the standard? It's very standard to, to buy your partner force a goat uh, for yeah. family dinner at the end of the training event, which is hey, it's what we did. I same exact thing. I was like, this is delicious. This is I saw the goat about thirty minutes ago, and now I'm eating said goat uh, in this curry, and I am one hundred percent going to get sick. I even looked at my <laughs> I looked at my crow, and I was like, hey, we're gonna get sick off this, huh? And he was chewing and he was just like oh yeah totally uh, yeah. <laughs> so we just we just laugh we're like well that's what you do and uh, then we did newsflash and tarantino <laughs> it we all did <laughs> yeah man but um yeah i i hadn't really had curry until we we showed up to england and yeah that's, uh, that, that little uh indian joint that was downtown and it was called entai sing oh you're talking about uh thai thai curry in, in milton hall yeah. yeah yep some of the hottest food I've ever had in my entire life. I, I had the chicken vindaloo and I thought I liked hot stuff. I was like, hey, let me have it hot. The waiter was like, no, you do not want it hot. And I was like, no, I do want it hot, guy. So then it became like this. I was like, yeah, give me that hot chicken vindaloo. It was a bad day. It was a yeah. bad day, bro. I couldn't even finish it. I got halfway through and I was just like, oh, my God, what is oh, happening? Gandhi's. Oh, Ooh. man. Oof, got him. It's good. Anyway, uh, obviously, we like curry. So yeah. we're going to go, go ahead and curry the goats and get on out of here. Yeah. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. And feel free to go to onesready.com. Check out some of the shirts, the flags that we got. We've got Mission Mercantile on there. We've got a Tackle Eat gear on there. So you can go over to their shop if you want. Like they got a great setup over there. Um, and then you can still enter the promo code onesready10, onesready10 uh, to get a discount. But you can save yourself some time. Go over to onesready.com. Their stuff is all there and the discount's already built in. And while you're there, you know, grab yourself a shirt, represent. Maybe, maybe get them dad. Yeah, exactly. Look at that. Yeah. Maybe maybe get yourself a little dad hat. That's coming back into restock. It's going to be a limited mm-hmm. run. So you got to get them while they're hot and they're going to be so hot. It's fall. It's time to throw on that dad hat. It's time to get that fall aesthetic going. Get you some pumpkin spice. Make sure to go over to Silly Goose Tactical and see everything that Trent's doing when he's not recording with us like he should be. So uh, check out Silly Goose Tactical. That's Trent and Mike Lover uh, teaming up. Uh, special guest David Goggins for who's going to curry the goats. He's going to do their menu over at Silly Goose Tactical. I can't wait. Sponsored by Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. And Liberty Safe. Absolutely. So if you need somebody that's going to bend a knee to the government and give a backdoor code to your gun safe and violate your Second Amendment rights, you know what? You know where Silly Goose Tactical is going to be home? Albuquerque, New Mexico. Speaking of constitutional rights, they got taken away from people that weren't legal. Anyway, 
That's a different right. podcast. I think yeah. we're losing the thread, everybody. We're, we're out of here. Later. Later.